Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bow. And this week, we're back with our monthly installment of The Inventory, Safe Room's review show, in which we discuss our time with a handful of newly released AAA and indie horror titles that left an impression on us for better or worse. And much like last month, genre fans are feasting, which is super convenient for those like us that are trying to compile our uh, respective uh, Game of the Year lists, which, uh, you know, we before we were recording the show, we were both talking about just like <laughs> how hellish the next few weeks are going to be of just trying to cram <laughs> all of our playtime and the notes and just, you know, trying to uh, windle those lists down to uh, <laughs> 10 entries. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I'm terrified to play anything else because yeah. I'm looking at it. <laughs> My short list is already very not short as it stands. Right. So it's like anything that might knock out something else is like a fear at this point. Yeah, hey. it is that kind of mad dash also between, you know, our Horror bite segment, which we're going to be doing a Game of the Year episode for, and then, of course, a proper Game of the Year uh, episode, which... At the moment, it might be two episodes. We've got so much to cover and talk about, um, but we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Let's focus on some of the stuff that came out this month, and uh, I think there's no better place to start than the Dark Pictures anthology, The Devil in Me. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so Supermassive Games' is last entry of this season of their mm-hmm. sort of anthology series, um, I think they initially said they were going to do eight games or something in this, so stands to reason we stop here for the first season. It's been an interesting sort of ride with this because, you know, ever since first seeing Man of Medan and you know, being quite impressed by the idea of having like multiplayer, like this mm. thing where you are one person's doing something in a scene while the other's doing something else, which I still don't think gets talked about enough when, when talking about this because, you know, even the quarry sort of had a bit of it. But it's been very up and down in what has been in those games, I think, for people. I think there was a lot of complaints with the first two, especially that there was very much the same fake out towards the end of it. It was like, oh, well, no, actually, this is what happened, you know, sort of thing. And it's like, I get that, yeah. I, I was very much bowled over by the stuff that was added to that Until Dawn formula. And then, you know, I think it, they've started improving it in other ways, like changing of perspective, more freedom of control, maybe needing a bit more polish here and there. But And so we get to this, and this is personally i think the best one of the lot you know and probably the best thing supermassive have done since until dawn um i know we haven't ever really got around to covering the quarry but you know um that's mainly because didn't really like it that much you know i think it was high production values great cast but uh compared to other things um and i think the thing i pointed out to you when we were talking about this is that the difference is the quarry felt like it was cosplaying as a slasher movie. Whereas this actually kind of feels more like one, you know, and that's what you wanted a bit more. And I think, or maybe for me personally, I feel like that's what I want more from it. So sort of going to some detail about what this uh, particular plot is again, based on the true sort of <laughs> true-ish sort of story as they gave with these <laughs> things. Yeah. Um, you know, about notorious serial killer who could have killed in the hundreds, you know, in undocumented records. And, you know, we meet that killer in a prologue scene, which is, yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. But 
after that, you get to the present day stuff and you get this TV crew who go around you know, documenting spooky, you know, spooky shit there, here and there, everywhere. And they're invited to this island that apparently has all this stuff about this serial killer, you know, in it that could really help their TV show that's failing a bit as it stands. And, you know, everyone's all fractured and it looks like they're all going to get torn apart, you know, in a professional sense at that point. And so they agree is the old one last job sort of thing. And of course, it turns out to be a murder house of death. And it's up to you, the player, to decide who does and does not survive. And so, yeah, it's much more in that original mold of Until Dawn and even the quarry. Um, no fake outs, none of that. It's straight up the monsterism, man, blah, 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 sort of thing. And it's so much better for it. I think my favorite thing about it is just the house. You know, the, the idea of this house that is basically built to be a trap to murder people. In. You know, it's, it's a literal slaughterhouse, you know, where wolves can move and there are traps everywhere. And then there's this history behind it that you sort of uncover through it. And yeah, it is basically a case of like keeping this cast alive or not, depending on your actions. As ever, I recommend going with the higher difficulty levels just because I think it's more unpredictable that way. I think on the easier ones, it's just you have to go out of your way to fail. Yeah. And I think here it's like you get that higher level. It's like, no, no, you fucked up like that. And you can fuck up without just by looking away from the screen for half a second that way. And I like that. Um, I think I lost at least one person that way. So Yeah. As I, yeah, I would totally agree. I think that for me and granted, I've only ever played a couple of hours of, the dark picture games, right? Man and Medan and all of those. I had mm. only played maybe one or two hours and mm. then kind of bounced off of them for various reasons. And, you know, along the lines of like, I got two or three hours into the quarry. And as you said, it felt more like a game that was masquerading as a slasher rather than actually putting you in the role of somebody that finds himself in a slasher movie. Yeah. Um, and with this, I was really taken with the setting, as you said, right? This hotel, this recreation of the hotel that in the prologue you get to actually go to the one that's yeah. at the World's Fair and then you're you know sequestered on this island in real time with the crew. And it really does feel kind of like Cube or Saw mixed almost with, um, like I described it to somebody as House of Wax. Yeah. Like the idea that, you know, you're dealing with this killer that can not only maneuver the walls and whatnot, trapping people in either, you know, traps, death rooms, or just fracturing the group even more so mm. than they already were. But then there's the, you know, the mannequin quality of House of Wax um, that has an even more sort of disturbing layer to it, right? Where you see the corpses of victims, yeah. but then they have these, you know, pieces of metal and animatronics that are in them that makes them move after they've been killed. But also the killer kind of takes these recordings of people and then basically shoves a, <laughs> uh, a speaker into their mouths where they basically will then, you know, the catch people off guard with, you know, talking to them or in some cases luring them to a part of the house, which then, you know, has a door slam shut behind them and they get locked in for a trap, uh, which, you know, is uh, is happens about four or five times throughout where it's like somebody's oh, yeah. walks into a room and the door slams behind them. Oh, we're so surprised <laughs> this happened again. But I found that this one has the payoff behind it that is not filled with these fake outs, but rather these moments where if you, as you said, if you look away for a second, that can be life and death for that character, which, you know, for a game like this that has the foundation in making decisions, mm. you have to have those high stakes. Otherwise, 
what's really the purpose, right? And I think there was maybe one or two instances where I screwed up that didn't instantly result in a death, but there definitely was a section later on where it's like, oh, I was checking my phone or something, and then all of a sudden I'd lost my character because <laughs> I fucked up one section, which, to be fair, you know, that uh, reinforces just how important those decisions and really, you know, paying attention, not using your phone, which is obvious. Um, but I like that this one felt as if it had true stakes. Yeah. Whereas in some of the previous entries, you have the illusion of choice, but it never really felt like, oh, well, I could do anything basically because what's really going to happen uh, if I choose to experiment? Probably yeah. nothing for three or four instances before, you know, getting to that sort of uh, milestone of, okay, now you have to pick this character or that character. Um, and I would also just say, you know, the production value, again, it was really, really strong here. And I would say even more so than the quarry. Um, I really appreciated here just, you know, the fact that they're going for this very, uh, I don't know, it feels kind of cinematic in the sense that like, it, oh, this is what they would be filming as a crew, yeah. right? A documentary crew, but also just the dynamic sort of cinematic angles that play out in certain cutscenes. Um, I thought was really well done and did a genuine uh, job of, you know, crafting tension and um, being hunted by this guy, this masked man who, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm kind of like, well, is this going to have a supernatural element to it? Is this going to be just a straight up guy in a mask that's carrying on this killer legacy? Um, and I'll say that the story, both in real time and piecing together the identity of the killer and the true crime aspect behind it was a lot more engaging, I think, than any of the other entries in uh the dark picture anthology, at least again, to what I had played of mm. uh, the first few hours. No. Yeah. I, I feel the same just because I think in the previous entries, it's been very much about the idea of taking one idea and mashing it with another one to sort of make something new, which you know, was a very conscious decision by Supermassive. That's what they wanted to do. They wanted to take something that seemed like one thing on the surface and then add another layer. And I think, as I said, that's a criticism of those first two entries is that, unfortunately the second layer kind of was the same thing um and i think they slightly rectified that after that but here it's because it's simpler it, 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 i think it's simpler it's subtler what they're doing you know they're doing oh it's a murder house blah 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 but instead of just putting you in the murder house as a for the first time as a bunch of people which apart from that beginning scene they are then the, the second element is the tv crew and that makes more sense you know that that really does fit as a cohesive whole better and knowing there are real stakes knowing that it's you know death and there's a, a human killer and it is a proper slasher game you know when we were discussing just last week about you know all these premises and you know the, the, the usual sort of super massive should make a screen game sort of thing comes up it's things like this that make you think like that because this is what that would be more than anything we've had before I think where it's always been something supernatural or a monster or whatever. And yeah, it's much simpler. And I like that about it. What I will say is, and you know, initially you have this issue with the game, I must say, which is the prologue is God awful. I think um, the actors playing the roles are very cheesy and it's all very overproduced, but, and I will say this to anyone who's going to play it now, because I don't think it really constitutes as a spoiler. That's on purpose. Because they are, you are basically playing a dramatization of the past for the TV show that they're making, which I thought was a really smart move. I like that. And I think it's good to tell people that up front because it really is off putting when you then follow it with the beginning of the other story, 
which is a bit slow and labored. And while, you know, while presentation wise, it's very good. I think there are some technical issues and polish that needs to be the, the, you know, the quarry had, but this doesn't, you know, where their faces don't quite move right. People don't quite move right. And it just looks a bit odd and it takes a while to get into its rhythm. You know, once they're in the house and all that stuff starts up, it really works for me. And, you know, I like that even though the cast has big names like Paul Kay and Jesse Buckley, they aren't just, they aren't the only people that matter. You know, the, the, there are lesser characters, if you will, that end up being the star of the show. And I like that about it. Yeah. Before I uh, comment on the characters, I think going back to that initial, I want to say hour, maybe 90 minute mark, um, this is probably my biggest criticism of these games in general is that they are very, very slow to start. And I think that might be why, you know, for the other entries in the anthology, I bounced off of them after an hour or two hours because there are this kind of slow, methodical setup that at this point, when you've made now four of these anthology entries, you can't keep modeling it as if you are going to be making something akin to film, right? I think yeah. that that's kind of the idea going into it is that they kind of want to tap into genre films, kind of slow start and setting everything up yeah. and all this. But we need to get to the good stuff quicker because this game particularly, the first hour, as you said, I found to be very dull, very boring. It felt like a showcase of the new features that are in this. And right, I think that the new gameplay features are nothing mind-blowing to anybody that's played an adventure game, but they are new to this series in particular. That being, you know, you can climb over items, you can jump gaps, you can um, hide behind walls when, you know, the killer's in the room or something, and you can also pick up items. Some people have personal items, which, you know, one character, Mark, who's the camera guy, he has a camera and he uses the flash instead of a flashlight. You have this other guy that's the director and he has like a lighter, but he also carries a credit card on him so he can basically unlock drawers and things like that to find other items. All of those things are well and fine in terms of gameplay features, but this opening hour kind of just feels like a very laborious tutorial in teaching those mechanics when those are mechanics that anybody that's ever played a game would take five seconds to kind of pick up on and utilize. Um, also it should be this brief little thing. It shouldn't be this hour long intro segment where it's like, okay, I get to run around the grounds and climb over a cable car, or <laughs> I get to jump this gap, but it's not just one or two instances of that. It's quite literally, you know, five or six, again, that hour long segment yeah. uh, at the very beginning, which again, feels like a barrier to entry to what is actually ends up shaping to be the most interesting and engaging of these uh, anthology games that I found. And um, in terms of the cast, you know, I found that while a majority of the casts of characters in these games, you know, they have prior things in their relationship with one another that yeah. puts them on this rocky foundation, which ends up being, you know, the foundation of the relationship system with different characters. But as you said, I found this to be not only better performed from a majority of them, they felt more personable. They, you know, were easier characters to kind of get behind some of them more than others, of course, but also just their relationships felt very natural, right? Because you're coming to them when, oh, we're about to break up yeah. this group because it's like, well, this show is basically might not happen. The last one didn't go well. And it's, you know, anybody, I guess, that has worked in film and television, you've definitely been part of a creative collective or two that has mm -hmm. kind of had this similar sort of animosity uh, within the group. But I found this to be a much more personable group of characters 
um, that I actually, you know, had some difficulty uh, making those hard decisions later on. Yeah, and uh, I think one in particular, which does give you a choice between two, is a is a very grim one and, and a standout scene in that one. It's um, but yeah, I I think the only thing that kind of takes away from the dynamic feel of that is when you get to the end scene and there are very obvious spaces where people are supposed to be sat depending on who's alive or dead and it's just like okay i get it but it's like but then you could sort of look at it in a different way and go okay it's just you know that, that's the point um but yeah that's good that's out on all the big consoles i think and pc so yeah it, and yeah if you want to go for that go for that but i must say you know the interesting thing that comes at the end of this of course the teaser for the start of the next season which is a, a space themed sort of sci-fi adventure. So I'm not sure what the uh, threat is in it yet, but you know, that would be interesting. That really does feel like a departure then, you know, having the earthbound ones and now we're going to, to space. <laughs> yeah. I have to say that's the one thing that supermassive has been consistent in, which I've been appreciative of the fact that they've changed up not only, you know, time periods and settings, but you know, the wide scope of, horror genre, you know, subgenres and things like that and seeing how they're going to tap into that in the future in an avenue that they've never done before makes me more excited than if they were just to, you know, do something along the lines of what they've done already, obviously. But at the same time, there's always that, I always have that worry where I'm like, well, are they going to get too comfortable in what they've been doing? Which, you know, I think some people might be able to say with those first two entries, they felt a little safe. They didn't feel like they were the next step from you know um yeah I think uh, until dawn the, the focus was definitely more on the, the um systems yeah i think that they were trying to implement like the multiplayer stuff which like i said i still think is massively underappreciated in this series yeah i think if you can go into it online with someone or even in the same house and play with it is a really fun time yeah, it really does add something to it that wasn't really there with other games but you know we, we've talked at length about this you know we're yeah. supposed to have a rule here that we don't talk too long um so <laughs> We've got Somerville next. Yeah, a game that we have uh, were afraid was going to get pushed in the next year, but it finally dropped, and that is developed and published by Jumpship, which, of course, was co-founded by the former Playdead folks. Mm-hmm. We, of course, covered Inside on the show early in the show's uh, history, and we're both fans of Limbo as well. And, you know, Somerville seemed like a departure in a way from what they had done. You know, the scope was seemed much larger than even that of Inside, which, you know, going from Limbo to Inside, it had even expanded. But this seemed like their most ambitious project uh, to date, I would say, in building off of that foundation. And so Somerville puts the player in the shoes of a father who becomes separated from his family during a War of the Worlds type alien invasion. And they have to set out to find their family, their dog, and survive uh, along the way to, you know, solve a few puzzles. Um, how did we feel that this game kind of continued that legacy of Inside and Limbo? I think the best thing you could say with this is that in moments, it really does capture that magic. You know, that it, I think I've seen it described as, you know, the best moments are like vignettes of, um, what Playdead could do. And that's understandable because, you know, it isn't the entirety of Playdead, but, you know, the core is there. Um, you know, the silent storytelling method, you know, that goes on in the beginning and all that. And, you know, certain set piece moments that come up just the, you know, the, the way it's framed, the, the way everything is performed, perfect. So much of the landscape that's captured at any time, it feels like a mural or a painting almost, mm. um, just because of how much depth and detail there are in what's going on. And, you know, 
with the new technological uh, upgrades since the last console generation, a lot more is happening in the background and in the foreground, yeah. um, which makes that setting come to life in a way that, you know, not to say that wasn't the case in the previous two, but as you said, when it, it's more about silent storytelling and environmental storytelling, that is huge in the potential for the types of stories you can tell. The War of the Worlds sort of style thing going on in this, in the back, you know, where you are sort of living through an alien patient. I fucking love that idea, you know, and it really is a, when it's in motion at times, it, it really does just work nicely. My problem, unfortunately, with this game is, is the game side of it, which is, doesn't really have the finesse of either Limbo or Insight, you know, and, um, Feels very stodgy, feels very slow, and you know I think buggy in places that I don't think I'd ever really experienced with the previous games from from later. I know we shouldn't really just lump them all in the same because you know different developer, but that's you know where they got the money for this. You know that's where the legacy comes from. That's where the cash is, <laughs> the checks being cashed. You know, so it unfair in comparison or not, it's there, and. This doesn't come off very well uh, as a result, which is a shame because, you know, I think it's that, like I said, what is great is there. It's just moments, you know, it it stabs at what was great and none of the cleverness, I think, but it feels haphazardly put together at times for me. Yeah, so... I will. I totally agree. But before I get to that, I do want to highlight an element that I find shows growth. And again, you know, there's Hmm. elements of play dead people that were involved, but it is a new studio. At the same time, though, I have to say I was really impressed with the dynamic camera angles of this, again, Hmm. to allow that scenery to really almost be a character itself, but also the way in which it pushes in occasionally to follow the player into exploring the backgrounds and the foregrounds has this really dynamic next-gen kind of feel to it of the possibilities of what you can do within that space. Like there's an instance where you're walking through basically an abandoned car park and you open up a door to go through a minivan and the camera slowly pushes in behind the player and follows them right through that door. And like there are a couple of probably a handful or maybe a dozen moments like that that were really, really impressive, I thought, and showed a good utilization of the technology. Also, the way in which this game plays with like the color palette of the aliens, you know, shooting lasers or just the technology, this kind of obelisk like uh, ships that come down and sort of the obelisk almost aesthetic of these otherworldly beings that come down. I really liked, and I thought that was visually distinctive in a way that you could say, Oh, well, this is Somerville, you know, establishing its own creative identity from that standpoint. I will say, however, though, as you mentioned, this is a game that, is full of good moments or has moments where it shines, but they are just moments and they are fleeting. I had a number of issues getting this to run on, uh, on uh, series S. Uh, there's a lot of frame rate issues, very choppy, very buggy. I got stuck in environments constantly. Um, sometimes like trying to interact with just climbing up on something would get me stuck in it, mm. which was incredibly uh, surprising. You know, Part of it is this is developed on relatively new technology, but at the same time, it, when you have this kind of backing, you, maybe they should have pushed it to December or next yeah. year to to you know iron out some of these issues. I will also say it, and it almost takes a, me uh, makes me take a step back from my comments on the dynamic camera angles. There's so many intricacies with the puzzles 
that the camera needs to push in on those moments so you can easily identify what you need to interact with. Yeah. But it never does that. It's always this, you know, capturing the full swath of the environment camera angle, which is fine when you're going the side scrolling nature of exploring environments. When it comes time to do the puzzles, it has to push in because there were a handful of them where I just couldn't see what I was supposed to interact with because the camera's so far back. And it's the most simplistic of puzzles. And yet I couldn't see the sort of um, the orange hue to items in the environment that are interactable just because the camera's so far back, which maybe I need to get glasses or move closer to the TV, but <laughs> I shouldn't have to do that, obviously. No. Um, <laughs> no, I think that's a very common problem the game has is it does want to show you what's going on a bit more, which is fine if you're going to go for a more narrative experience. But by trying to... I think the bold move here would have been to cut back puzzles. I, I mean, I, maybe people would have hated it for that. But I feel that that's what's holding it back in what they're trying to do with the rest of the game. This is why I think it shines through at points where the puzzles aren't really the point, you know, and you are just getting the spectacle of it all. But I understand why they wouldn't and why they would want to not just make that because we kind of gone past that with a lot of things. And, you know, when you get to a certain budget, it's like doing that is riskier, you know, and, um, but really, I think, again, you don't want to make these unfair comparisons, but you look back at Inside and how that evolved on what Limbo did and how it was still, you know, fundamentally the same kind of thing, but it did everything the same, but better and more cohesive and its storytelling was in the puzzles and the gameplay, you know, and it all worked together in harmony. And, you know, it's like, and you weren't stuck on basic things just because of viewpoints and because of lack of visual cues. You know, it's like, you think of inside and how little there was in the way of visual cues as to what you had to do at a puzzle, but there was enough. If you looked around and figured something out, you're like, oh, okay, this does this, blah, blah, blah. And, it felt in tune with what the story was. You know, someone going into these environments doesn't know what any of it's about, seemingly, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, here it just feels like, hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's not weird enough to work in that regard. It, it's it's probably lacking that weirdness that really would have sold that. So yeah, maybe puzzles weren't the way forward for this game. And for the technical issues, I can understand. Yeah, hiccups with that, being more ambitious. And I can forget those. I wouldn't even make them a big problem personally for me but because they weren't that intrusive personally beyond the odd frustration as you said with the you know knocking into the environment and getting stuck which so many games i've had that with it doesn't matter but you know it's the other stuff that makes that stand out all the more isn't it you know you end up with this big problem it's a shame because I liked the idea behind the main mechanic, right? Yeah. Which is that you get this alien technology, you interact with light sources, basically a lot of power generators and spotlights, um, and then you can basically terraform the environment utilizing the merger of that alien technology with the light sources, which I thought was a pretty cool concept. And it works really well for the first two puzzles, maybe, because it's so simplistic. And then it try it gets a little too in the weeds with that, and they add another facet to it, which... It's not terribly complicated, but at the end of the day, it overcomplicates what, you know, to your point about, you know, what is the foundation of the sort of play dead-esque experience? It's simplicity, but it's simplicity refined to the mm. point that it complements both the storytelling and the environmental traversal. Whereas 
as I've already mentioned, you know, the other uh, camera elements really do hurt that puzzle design, but also at times it just kind of gets a little more complicated than it needs to be. Um, and I think that that's an element, you know, that made inside work so well is that that feels like a journey that has very few slowdown points. Whereas yeah. with this, that idea of being in this continuous journey is interrupted by poor design or, you know, in my case, a lot of technical limitations, which made this one a lot more difficult for me to be able to recommend to people. Granted, it's a two and a half hour game. I think I finished it in two sittings, um, but it's more difficult because there is some fundamental issues kind of with getting through it in a way that uh, doesn't end up being frustrating. Yeah. And so conclude on that i think it also has you know shiloh and complex which is a studio known for endings and for you know the weirdness i mean inside's ending is just like so out there and so what the fuck to this day and they try something with this and it's just it's a shrug you know it really just does not work it the ending is let down by the way it's brought up i think it's it, it's a shame you know and especially for something so short you you want some payoff at least you know for the, it's a type of storytelling that really is not helped by the fact that you know it is silent storytelling right mm. it is something that if you want to have that emotional investment you got to have more interactions that go beyond you know <laughs> finding your family and hugging them or something like that um so yeah that again was also an element that felt perhaps a little too big for their uh, for their britches, if you will. Um, but yeah, Somerville, I would say uh, a long wait for something that ended up being kind of disappointing. Well, yeah, for something we've looked forward to. You know, for so podcast, long. You know, and to get it so, you know, being so happy that it was coming so soon. And you know, I don't want to be naive and silly about it. But, you know, I sometimes hope that you know, a surprise release doesn't just mean that we ran out of time we have to do it now sort of thing and it kind of does feel like this i oh could be wrong could just be they felt they were confident enough that it was good enough to put out there but it, it does feel like we had to meet a quota we had to be here and hopefully some things get fixed with time hopefully they get the chance to make another game that um you know they feel more comfortable sort of telling the story but uh, yeah it's not the the long wait wasn't um, rewarded quite as well as we don't. But hey, on to more games. <laughs> <laughs> well, our next title is uh, to be released shortly. It's currently yeah. in beta, and we have to thank the developers for providing us with a code, and that would be for Warhammer Forty Thousand Darktide, mm. uh, which is going to be which is developed and published by Fat Shark, who's the team behind uh, Warhammer Vermintide, yeah. which is. Similar to this uh, in a way from the structural standpoint, but as I said, Warhammer 40k Dark Tide is, takes place in the 40k universe. So you're dealing with, you know, lots of uh, futuristic heretics and space yeah. hulks and the like. But Dark Tide is going to be a squad based co op, class based first person shooter where up to four players embark on missions and, you know, the name of the Emperor uh, to tear through hordes of heretic soldiers and monsters to gain resources and XP to level up, you know, your current class, their abilities their weapons um had you been familiar with vermintide in the past yeah yeah i mean um a guy who used to work with jb jb jones was like a really big fan of vermintide and sort of got me on to just sort of trying it out and stuff yeah i i have very little personal interest in the warhammer universe normally but you know i like parts of it and you know i like the idea of this fighting fucking rat mutants and rat people and things like that so yeah you know 
effectively, you know, one of the, the post Left for Dead crew that actually kind of works quite well. And I think because it's got that Warhammer name on it, it's like you either love it for that or you don't. And yeah, in my case, though I didn't care for Warhammer as much, I felt it was really well put together. Yeah, you know, it really did something. With this, I feel I like the setting more. I like the futuristic stuff. Um, kind of feels like another game we're covering this month um, with its DLC. And in terms of combat, especially where it's um, very meaty, you know, and it feels, I'm trying to think what it feels like. It's, um, the, the horror movie, Pandorum, you know, that one? With the, like the prisony thing, a little bit like that, a little bit of um, dying light, a little bit of obviously, you know, left for dead, vermin type sort of style stuff, and it does just feel like more than just a sequel with a different, you know, thing slapped on top of it. It's yeah, I, I really quite enjoyed this one, you know, for, from the time I've had with it. Which, in fairness, for me, is probably not a lot because you know I've <laughs> had so many things to play beyond the stuff we've done this month. But still, you know, I think, you know, the enemy design is great. You know, I think just, like I said, the, the melee combat is, um, you know, I really enjoyed that. You know, I like that in this kind of game where if you can make melee things, not just stuff that you just wildly in the air. Sorry, that, that was me doing a Zoro there, by the way. <laughs> and, and yeah, where, you know, you can block and guard and just smash the shit out of things. Uh, that's, yeah, it feels really pulpy and grimy and like, in a different way to Vermintide, which was like that sort of a medieval sort of vibe. Um, yeah, I, I, I say quite enjoyed it. How about you? Yeah, so I never got on with Vermintide because I'm not really interested in that dark fantasy setting. I mm. rarely am. You know, something like a Plague's Tale would be a standout in that type of genre that I really mm. enjoy, but not enough to you know dedicate a good deal of time to a co-op shooter. Um, but something like this, where I, you know, I don't particularly care about the Warhammer universe from a storytelling perspective, but it is a universe that I love ex- experiencing because it feels like a much darker, bleaker, yeah. almost uh, rendition of like StarCraft or something, right? Um, and so for that reason, I really enjoyed sort of being in this world and, you know, it starts with basically a jailbreak, right? And how you get to pick one of four classes and then you basically just fight these horrific mutations and soldiers that have, uh, you know basically uh, pledge their lives to Satan, if you will, space <laughs> Satan, which would be like Nurgle, which is, I guess, the alien god that they uh, worship. But yeah, and, you know, to your point, initially I was like, well, if it's in the 40K universe, is it going to be more focused on, you know, range combat? And then to see them implement and have it really be a strong foundation of melee combat that then, you know, has this ebb and flow where it's like, resources are limited. So you need to smartly use, I I would almost say it's similar to like playing zombies in Call of Duty where it's like, sure, you could start those first five to 10 rounds going Rambo on things, but then you're going to be fucked later on. And so it's better to, you know, conserve ammo. And this game has a similar ebb and flow where it's like, sure, early on in any mission, you could kind of just blow through your ammo and, you know, rack up kills and all these things. But then when you get to those big milestone enemy encounters or boss battles, you're going to be screwed. Um, And I found that, like you said, the melee combat has this really great feedback to every single time that you hit an enemy. Uh, And, you know, usually it's more than one, right? You're never not facing more than 10 enemies at any time, um, which is really great. And, you know, there's this chaotic side to combat 
but it never feels like haphazard, I suppose. Like yeah. you're going to run into the thick of things, but it's not just always spamming that that uh, swing button, which, you know, sure you can, but, you know, there are layers to the simplicity of combat in this that I really appreciate that puts a little more thought into it in players utilizing their class strengths, utilizing certain equipment. The fact that every single attack or every single item has some sort of backup utility or function to it yeah. that really helps for cl- uh, crowd control in a way that, um, again, you know, while you might be swinging uh, mercilessly and tirelessly <laughs> at enemies and whatnot, um, there feels like there's more thought behind engagements than this kind of just berserker approach, which, you know, granted, if you're playing as one of the CQC classes, that's definitely, you know, your purpose, getting into the thick of things. Yeah. But again, like there are so many different layers to abilities that it felt more methodical and more strategic than mindless, I would say. Yeah, which um, is, as yeah. you say, when you get that sort of build up of enemies and you're trying not to panic, you know, it's getting to the flow of combat. And it, it, just, it really sings, you know, it's like, I think it really shows its hand properly then, you know, as, as what the game can be. Yeah. And that coupled with, you know, in the quieter moments, just the the banter between the different types, you know, the different characters and stuff like that. Again, one of those things that is very hard to do and sort of copy from, you know, the Left 4 Dead model of just having these things. But yeah, this is definitely one of the better examples I've seen, you know, where they, it, there are some genuinely amusing anecdotes and, you know, some good character building like that, you know. So yeah, I think it's a smart all round package, you know, even at this early stage. So, you know, I know it's coming out properly next week, isn't it? So it's, you know, it, it's in the final furlong, so to speak. But, um, yeah, long may it continue. I think, you know, we've been playing on PC, but I think I'll probably pick this up on console as well, just because it would be more comfortable for me, I think. But, um, yeah, it's that's always the sign of a good game for me. I think if, um, you know, as much as I like playing on PC, that I like playing certain things on PC more. Yeah, and this is something I kind of want to play on a console a bit more personally. So, um, yeah, I, I'll be looking into getting that one uh, when it comes out next week or this week when you hear this. So. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It is one of those things where, you know, I'm conscious of the fact that there are so many of these kind of co-op squad-based shooters that are out there um, that this one, I think, does a good job of utilizing that IP in a way that doesn't feel like just a reskin, like you said, of Vermintide. Uh, it leans into that 40k universe. So if you're like us and maybe are not the biggest of Warhammer fans, the sci-fi horror element of it is very, very apparent. And it's not just the set dressing, really, because like you said, the banter between them, it feels specific to the characters and it feels specific to the classes in a way that makes it feel tied to the universe rather than just being, again, this sort of generic uh, squad based experience that's just been, you know, had this beloved ip slapped onto it but yeah that was definitely a uh, a standout and uh one that i look forward to seeing how they support moving forwards but i think before we move into the second half of our month we are going to take a quick break and when we come back we'll dive into some more of the month's offerings and we are back from our break and we are going to chat about a game called save room no this is not <laughs> a uh, a paid sponsorship of any kind um <laughs> but save room is developed and published by fractal projects and save room essentially takes the resi 4 item management and expands it into this full-fledged puzzle game so you are going to be looking at that inventory screen from resi 4 and essentially maneuvering 
different items in your inventory, firearms, healing items, and trying to get them to fit into the grid of your inventory that changes with every level. Sometimes you're going to have more things that can fit in there to proceed. And so you have to think about how you combine the different items together. You'll have to think about loading firearms. You'll have to think about healing your character at certain points. And I don't think people could be blamed for looking at this game from afar and thinking, oh, this kind of feels like a gimmick. It's Mm. kind of tapping into something that, you know, is beloved by a certain portion of horror fans. And, you know, the, I would say the satisfaction in playing Resident Evil 4 and, you know, making every single little item fit, um, you know, capitalizing on that and making it into a full-fledged game is a pretty tall order. Um, And so I'm curious for you, Neil, like, how did they do in adapting that into a game that, you know, lasts more than 30 seconds? (laughs) I think it's the way they use the knowledge, you know, of how those things work. You know, if you've played Resident Evil, you know, you, you are going to understand the intricacies of these puzzles you know it's like we're thinking why why would i need to heal anything that is just about the inventory well you know the the solution there is like well you can have eggs to eat or here are rotten eggs that will like lower your health and then you have to eat one of those to get it to in order to get rid of some herbs or stuff but then you have to make sure you combine those herbs obviously to not heal yourself too much and not be able to use it and uh, ergo not get rid of it and yet stuff like that is really well done. And, you know, even beyond the obvious, there's these moments where you are just able to have little challenges of your own, where it's like, can you do this without, like, reloading the weapons or healing yourself or anything like that, which you know, really adds a, a second solution to some puzzles as you go on, which can drive you mad because, uh, well, maybe just me, but, you know, you, you sit there just thinking how to do it the hard way. Yeah, which is unusual because normally I'm the first to go, oh, yeah, find me the easy way out, please. <laughs> like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, with this, it was like, I really, really wanted to see if I could do it a different way. Yeah, and you know, the options are there, which is cool. But yeah, it's it's so fascinating the way they sort of go around the idea with the inventory way. As you said, they change the, the shape, size of the inventory box that you are going into. Um, obviously, you have that second bit where you can just put the items loose and then sort of rearrange and yeah it's you can see where it really taps into what was satisfying about organizing that sort of inventory you know for any person who's played anything like tetris you know again it's um you know i fucking love tetris you know um so yeah it's like the best of both worlds for me yeah a puzzler that is resident evil meets tetris brilliant uh, give me that and yeah for a small idea which you know is priced humbly as well i think it was like four pounds over here um yeah or even on playstation so have at that for that price that is certainly worth your time certainly challenging there's plenty of puzzles in it it's not a lot more to say because it really is just that you know but it, I, I really did find it quite delightful Yeah. You know, again, keeping in mind just the scope and the scale of what this is, I found that it was a pretty brilliant execution, again, of really not only understanding the fundamentals of that inventory system from, you know, Resi, but more importantly, the ways in which you can add layers to something that on paper is so simplistic. Like you said, we have to craft items, you have to, you know, damage yourself at one point so you can use more healing items to get them out of the queue. 
little things like that show real ingenuity, I think, in taking something that, as I said at the beginning, seems like it's a gimmick, seems like it's kind of a throwaway, and yet there is some real depth and legitimate challenge, you know? Granted, it's humbly priced, as we said. I believe there's 40 puzzles, give or take, but there are definitely a handful of them that will give you pause in a way that you could only say probably the best of your puzzle-going experiences have been. Um, And this one, I think, definitely capitalizes on that core concept, which is very simplistic, in the best way possible and, you know, makes it well worth checking out if you are a, a fan of puzzle games, if you're a fan of, you know, resi item management type things and <laughs> want to see how that could be expanded into this kind of lunch break uh, style experience. But yeah, this was a very pleasant surprise, I would say. Yeah, yeah, it was. And, uh, you know, that's a, something light, but, you know, challenging like this works a treat for me. Getting into our next title, which I unfortunately wasn't able to play, but you're going to uh, tell us all about it, is <laughs> Dying Light 2 uh, Bloody Ties, the DLC. I believe it was story-based, right? Yeah, I mean, it, you and uh, Dying Light 2 on this podcast are like strangers, yeah. <laughs> it, strangers in the night. The one episode you weren't on is <laughs> on uh, Dying Light 2. But yeah, and it's my uh, end-of-the-year mashup of everything I missed. <laughs> Well, maybe don't because just it's very long. <laughs> and, um, oh, the, the the core game. I got to get a yeah. couple hours in. Yeah, um, yeah, and this you do have to get to a certain point in the game to access all of this, you know, as well. Um, which is predominantly getting to the second part of the world in the main game to really go beyond the first few missions. But yeah, so what Dying Light Two Bloody Ties does is kind of a mix of two things you know in the original dying light we had expansions like the following which were just like full-blown expansions that you know took you to a new place new mechanics everything and they were like a mini version of the game in the, the right then you had stuff like hell raid which was just like you know a dungeon based you know roguelike side thing and that was really good but disconnected from the game this it's somewhere in the middle, you know, for this game, you know, where it has a story to it, but it also has a brand new challenge mode effectively, which is this contest where people fight to the death in these elaborate game shows effectively, you know, of, um, you know not too dissimilar to what, um, Dead Rising 2 did, but gladiator style. Yeah, but not too, not quite as wacky, you know. Um, you know, they dress sets up to look like, you know, the, um, early on there's a set dressed up to look like Haran, the city from the first game, you know, and they like the scenarios are like, well, you've got to do the electrics here, do all those little tasks you had to do in that game. Basically condensed into this time limit based game, you know, this thing where you basically being Robin Hood, um, trying to, you know, sneak into a castle, kill the undead, um, unload all the, gold you know uh, in um uh, and uh get out again and then finding that your merry men are all zombies so you have to kill them um <laughs> it's it's stuff like that so you survive that then you come back out and you're basically the story goes that you know some legendary fighter's son ropes you into these contests and then he gets in over his head because he's actually shit at it but he's trying to prove it himself to be good at it and so you are basically manipulated into trying to save his ass uh, you, if you've played a Dying Light game you kind of know where that story is going and yeah so the story itself is fine you know it's like I, I think it adds a little interesting stuff but I don't think it's really the core of what this is about it's nice to have a story and to be in like 
a new environment that it's bigger than just a room or saying, you know, it's like this whole big city hall type building that's been repurposed into this gladiatorial combat arena. You know, it's fucking huge. You know? And, you know, there are rooms in between fights where you can meet the other fighters and contestants and like the people who run it and do little missions for them that, you know, expand in. You can take certain missions that go back out into the main game's world as well because you're just out on the outskirts of the city for this. Um, there's like gardens of this environment as well. And yeah, I mean, it's really good fun in the sense that it takes Dying Light down to its purest form. You know, when you are in those challenges, it basically strips it all back and says, you know, you, you know, use these parkour skills, use your combat skills with the bare minimum. You know, it's like, we'll give you this weapon. We'll give you this thing. Find scrounge what you can. You know, one minute you'll be, like having a one-on-one contest with like a freakish variant of like one of the monsters or another one is like, you know, it's a fight to the death with 30 other men um, and then stuff like that I've already experienced. And, you know, you have layers and tiers to the combat. So you get more points and the idea is to climb the rankings and be trusted enough to be the top guy. Um, but like I said, it's nice that there are deviations from that where, you know, like one point you have to go and sneak to find the kid that you're supposed to be rescuing from this situation so you have to sneak round and into the prison system and yeah the way you think you've got to go is like um through the underground area and of course it's a nest full of fucking undead so <laughs> yeah you've got to escape through all that and it's nasty and yeah i like that it's got such a uh, good use of the limitations you know when you know i think dying light is best when you are not as powerful when you are like struggling to survive the only bad point of that, I think, comes from the main game's problem, which is like sometimes the parkour can be a bit unruly in close quarters. And, you know, you misjudge a jump slightly and you're half dead and it can be frustrating and fiddly at the wrong moment. But yeah, overall is a semi-expansion sort of thing. I think it adds a lot. Yeah. You know, and I think it's not quite on the level of like the following was for the first game, but I think you know, for a first outing for this, I think it's a good extra for what we've had. You know, something that feels like it's an aside, but still feels connected. Yeah, I would say, you know, for DLCs in general, I'm more interested in them providing something that feels like a different flavor than the core experience. It's Mm. not just more of exactly the same, right? And this sounds like that achieves that. And, you know, what you just said about, it really distilling that core unique strength of the game and really focusing on that, but giving this new environment, um, that sounds pretty promising. Granted, again, I need to still, uh, I need to <laughs> rectify my lack of uh, dying light experience, but you know, it is refreshing to hear about DLC that has one foot in, you know, expanding on the story and the lore of the world and the other foot firmly in, you know, delivering at least an environmental or situational difference than the core game. Um, Because, you know, in this age of DLC, sometimes it kind of just feels like more of the same rather Mm. than something that builds up on that core, uh, you know, vanilla base of the uh, original game. Yeah. I think, like I said, it's getting that fine line between flow and frustration that, you know, means that it can either be clunky, aggravating, slug but you know when it goes right you just can't beat that adrenaline rush of just getting through by the skin of your teeth on any given moment and you know with that i have to say you know, the challenges are bloody tough you know even by someone who is 
you know, New Game Plus Dying Light 2 this year, you know, and put many, many hours into it. It still, you know, hit me hard at points and really just knocked me on my ass. So you know, go into it with that. If you want a challenge, this is going to give you it, I think. Because you know, to, to scrape by and get the bare minimum in most of these things is hard enough. So even then, if you manage that, there's another level of challenge if you want to really push further. And, you know, there's unlockable skins and things which have been strangely absent in this game. You know, there was, you know, gear, but not the skins that were in the first game. So, yeah, I think it, it's definitely worthwhile if you really enjoyed the main game. Yeah, this, this really does just add something fresh and extra. How much does this uh, go for? Do you know offhand? I, I don't know offhand, actually. No. Okay. It's like, but, um, Let me see. Uh, looks like it goes for 10 bucks. Oh, so More than worth it. Okay. More so, than worth it? There yeah. you go. More than worth That's it. That's the thing. Like with DLCs, I'm, again, talking about like the content to the dollar value, I'm always curious to know the price point of certain DLCs and how much they actually add. So it sounds like for what you described, mm. 10 bucks sounds fair enough to give a little more life into Dying Light before uh, the next DLC or potentially a bigger story expansion. Yeah. I mean, if you've got the... the, the super deluxe whatever it was edition you get it anyway gotcha. so oh, but, okay. so yeah but yeah it's um yeah definitely worth your time if you, you enjoyed you the main game well on to our final game of the month and one that i actually managed to play uh is <laughs> vampire survivors which is developed and published by luca galiente also known as uh Ponkel. i believe that's his dev name um, and vampire survivors is a bullet hell style dark fantasy game where the player attempts to collect uh bleh, where the player attempts to survive the never-ending hordes of monsters while collecting powerful offensive and defensive abilities, as well as coins that can be spent to upgrade said abilities and to unlock new characters that have unique perks. Um, I will be completely honest, this is a game that I thought I was going to play for about 20 minutes and then never play again. Just, you know, this is uh, maybe my, my monthly reminder to not judge a game by how it looks, but from the distance, this looks like a fairly standard arcade sort of action game and then once you start to play it you know much like uh save room in a way right you can't judge either of these by how they look because of the depth that is in their mechanics and you know the strategy specifically in vampire survivors because it's not just oh i'll pick up this new uh this thing that boosts my attack or this upgrade that boosts my health there are different abilities and different types of attack patterns that you can really begin to formulate a build that would be akin to, you know, a complex RPG I found, you know, mm -hmm. after a certain while, you have to smartly select your upgrades and the types of abilities that you want to have, because otherwise you're going to be dealing again with these massive hordes of enemies that basically at one point could fill 90% of the screen. And if you haven't perfectly attuned your current build to, you know, either immobilizing, stunning, destroying, or kind of clearing out a path, for the player to escape momentarily, you know, before the next horde comes in, yeah. um, it really can put you in a bad way and you die very quickly. It's one of those types of experiences where you can take, you know, a handful of hits before you have to restart. But the more that I played this game, the more I was coming back to it and developing actual strategies, right? It wasn't this thing where you can kind of just be like, well, I'll just power my way through this with the same <laughs> types of builds I've done in the pre in the past. It really is something you need to experiment. And it took maybe three or four runs for me to kind of learn that. And then once I kind of got my head straight on what I needed to do for a specific build, 
it really did open up a new avenue almost yeah. of this kind of rhythm and how you can progress, how you can really, you know, start to carve your own path through enemies and all these things. And just learning the ins and outs of those strategies ended up being this thing where I had that, that, you know, ideology where it's like, Oh, I'll just do 10 more minutes. <laughs> and then you just keep doing that and doing that. And then an hour has gone by. Man. And I probably spent five hours playing this game over the course of the month, just coming back to it and trying new builds, unlocking new characters and seeing how their starting abilities can really, you know, change the game either early on or later in a, you know, uh, a current lifespan. How did you find Vampire Survivors? Well, you know, I'd been warned you know, multiple times. I think Aaron had, uh, you know, friend of the show had put this across, you know, in a pitch to play disgusting back when I was uh, editing there you know, and did an article on it then. And, you know, everything about it sounded really intriguing. And I thought, it's one of those games. It's going to be one of those where it's either you're going to bounce off in five seconds or you're going to spend way too long on it and it's going to disrupt a work week when you don't need it <laughs> guess which of the two that ended up being <laughs> um yeah yeah so just to point out you know, not only with this but the time of year it is you know, so many games come out in the race to finish the year that um you know i'm reviewing a lot at the minute and this was the worst thing to come across at that time <laughs> because at a time where i should have been playing other things and sort of keeping it ahead of the curve this came along on game pass on xbox it's obviously this has been out earlier in the year elsewhere um and yeah that was it really now i've heard stories that this isn't as um good as the pc version uh, in terms of performance can't fucking notice i must say yeah <laughs> like i didn't like, have any issues considering how bloody hectic it gets um <laughs> and, you know, not a horror game at all, but I played um, Soccer Story for a few recently, and it's like you know, this very twee Pokemon esque thing where it's like Golf Story, where you know you go around with football, like in solving puzzles with a football, and just the, there's some stages in that where you get this horrific slowdown because a couple more things appear on screen than normal, and it's like five things rather than three, <laughs> and then you look at something like Vampire Survivors, you know, obviously. Yeah, you know, much simpler graphical style, but still, whew, you know, just when it is insane, you know, my wife, again, isn't someone who watches me play a lot of games, but she's seen a lot of it this week and just looking at the insanity of where it went, you know, and what, you know, getting to those final stages, you know, in the, the last bit of those 30 minute rounds and, so you know, you're barely keeping the enemy away, and just you know, despite having every fucking ability going and off, it's just it's exquisite. It is absolutely exquisite stuff, and you know, it is every bit worth the hype it's been getting. You know, I've seen some of the scores to this, and just like really before, like I, I understand it's good, but I think it's like on Metacritic for the year it's like up there with Persona Persona 5 Royale Remaster whatever it is you know it's the highest rated game so you know unsurprisingly <laughs> so it, it is phenomenal it's such a simple concept done so well and you know I, I've seen grumblings that, you know oh from PC players usually you know, oh yeah, you I don't. You can skip the earlier levels with mods, blah blah blah. blah you know, because it's boring. It's like, well, no, I like that bit. 
I like the, the best discovery. <laughs> it's the way this game is meant to be played. And, you know, I had I not had that, I don't think I would have really got into the groove, you know, in the same way. It's, yeah, go on. Sorry. Yeah. That's how you pick up on, you know, different strategy and that's how you develop strategy. And those early rounds, mm. you know, you might view them as being boring or mundane, but at the same time, those are a tr- a basically a training, like a proving grounds mm. for me wanting to experiment and seeing the potential for a certain build or even just in general, you know, those opening, the opening hour of playing this game, just learning the basics of how, you know, based on your movements, you can kind of create this ebb and flow with which the enemies yeah. will follow you. So then you can begin to cr- to like carve your own paths through traversing through the enemies. You can basically make a pocket yeah. that you could escape through. And, you know, those early hours, that's what that's for. And then, of course, it gets more and more difficult. And then you start to realize, oh, okay, well, this works for a certain amount of rounds. But in the back of your mind, you have to be gunning, perhaps, for certain abilities or certain upgrades that will help you later on. And if anything, it'll build up the foundation that you started early on, which then sort of makes you realize like, oh, this is not something that you can kind of kind of wander your way through. You really have to start to have this idea of what your build is going to be from the outset. Um, and I'll say it's the, I'm not a huge like Twitch person or let's play person. This is the first game in a long time that I actually went out of my way to go online and watch people that were going to these insane, you know, 30, <laughs> 40, 50, 60 minute rounds, sometimes longer. And just seeing the way in which they handle hordes and things like that. Yeah. Um, and that was incredibly rewarding and just being informative on like things I could try after, you know, hitting a wall at a certain point. Yeah. And I love that there's a point pretty much in any time you play it, you know, where you can turn the tables and temporarily you, you've got the, you know, you've got the up on them. You know, you can go at them, attack them, really rack up the experience and start leveling up. But, you know, that's by design because then at that point, it's, like it's trying to lull you into this sense of, well, no, stay here, do this, like that, knowing full well that the game is just going to keep bringing things to you and make it really fucking hard if you haven't done things exactly right to get out again. And especially in the early plays where you really don't understand that and you're like, oh, okay, I'm doing really well. I'm really farming. It's like that. I might go the distance this time. And then it's like, oh, shit, there's a fucking wave of these ones and I can't, I'm not quite strong enough in that way. And yeah, I just, the weapon variety and the combinations and, you know, if you combine certain ones, they come into, they turn into these super weapons, which are essential you know, when you get to that end point. But yeah, that last bit of any, you know, when you do get to complete a round of just like pushing enemies away by half inches, you know, it is just exhilarating. For a game in which you are effectively doing nothing but moving a stick, yeah, you know, the entire time, which is just genius level game design, you know, absolute simplicity done to perfection. Last thing I'll say on that is just the way in which they're able to capitalize on that simplicity, not only from the gameplay standpoint, but like even the creature design. Right, mm. the first enemy you fight is the bat, which takes one hit and it's dead. Right, and then it's like, how do they build upon that? Well. They have, you know, bats that are larger, so they take more hits. Then you have bats that have a shield on them, so they take even more hits. But then there are certain points where they have those base bats again from that first few rounds, but now there's 50 of them at a time that are flying straight at you. The way in which they capitalize on a limited amount of resources or assets, and they fundamentally upgrade them, but then at the same time throw you those little curveballs, it keeps combat interesting. And, you know, for the first... 
I'll say, hour or two that you're playing, it really does kind of teach the player that they can't get overconfident when they see a creature that they saw early on in the game. Yeah. If anything, you know, you view them in the first few rounds as being just fodder that you can basically farm to level up very quickly. Yeah. But later in the game, you have to, you know, start planning how you're going to traverse the environment almost before they even show up, those big hordes of bats, because it's like, well, okay, if one is going to come from this angle, have I left myself enough room to outrun the, you know, the wide swath of the horde? Uh, it's the type of thing that I think it really does capitalize on the limited nature of the game, mm. but it, there's layers of complexity in that that really do capitalize on that, you know, that kind of bullet hell style of game design um, that, you know, is simplistic, but it's the best rendition of simplicity. And it shows that, you know, if they were to, you know, furthermore expand this with DLC or something, it's like, oh, you get a new map. It's like, that would be great. But at the same time, anything they introduce, it needs to be built around that core identity of simplicity. Because yeah. if it tries to get too complicated, the entire thing kind of falls apart. And I think yeah. that that's a much better scenario to be in that it's like, yeah, you get a lot of longevity out of what is available in the vanilla base and what is there you could play for conceivably, you know, tens of hours, if not longer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, again, something that is very relatively cheap, you know, like, again, around the same price we just mentioned about savoring and yeah, it has all this stuff to it. You know, it's just amazing, you know, to, um, have it sort of in here and, um, really have something, yeah, you know, a cultural phenomenon in itself sort of live up to what you it's supposed to be, you know, it, which is very difficult. You know, I think when you're a jaded, cynical old man, you know, it, it's <laughs> it's like you, anyone brings up the popular game, you're like, mm, you know, shrug your shoulders and go, yeah, sure, it's fine. And in most cases, you're right. It, it's fine. It's just that people are enjoying it a lot at this point. But no, there's something really special about the simplicity of this game and how it's sort of inverses the bullet hell sort of style game like it does yeah it, it just takes things i've loved about games for many a year and shakes them up a bit in a way that i've really really enjoyed yeah so right out there Yet another example of you can't judge a game by its pixels, right? I think that this would be one that would be very easy for people to overlook and say, well, it's capitalizing on, you know, nostalgia for these past and, you know, types mm. of arcade experiences. And yet this feels entirely modern while, you know, maybe capitalizing on the nostalgia for that aesthetic, graphically speaking. But it really does feel like a game that is has learned a lot over the years from when these games were really popular. And yet it has these modern amenities that don't overcomplicate things and really does highlight that simplicity in a way that uh, makes it incredibly easy to pick up. I can't speak to, you know, whether people are going to stick with the difficulty at a certain yeah. point, but I think that it's certainly a game that capitalizes on that nostalgia in the best way possible. And uh, yeah, made for a fantastic, I think, final entry for this month's edition of uh, the inventory. Yeah. And um, I suppose no surprise then that is my game of the month, personally, <laughs> on this one. Yeah, I think I'm trying to think now. I've, it's definitely the one that I've spent the most time with. Um, yeah. I'll say the one that I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be that guy and make a, an amend that it's um, Dark Tide is the game that 
surprised me the most yeah. because it was the game that I was afraid was going to, you know, what little I knew about Vermintide, I was afraid it was just going to be a reskin and it didn't end up being that. It ended up, you know, capitalizing on that core gameplay loop in a way that I found to be really satisfying. Um, and I'm really, really excited to see, you know, the, not only the launch, but also the content plan for moving forwards and seeing how they can expand on yeah. that. Because um, I think there's a lot of depth to what was there in terms of the characters. We'll see about the types of missions, right? That's where these types of games, it's like, okay, are we going to have additional game modes pop up? Are we going to have additional maps? Yes, probably. But how does that kind of fall into that loop of like, okay, is it just going to be the same cycle of like the same three maps, the same three missions? And is that going to become repetitive? So that is really where my hesitation to name that mm -hmm. one my game of the month is. But I will say that's the one that I'm most excited to stick with uh, for a good while and kind of follow that launch. Yeah. I mean, if I was going to surprises, then it would be the devil in me, I think, just because I, it's nice to see. It's rare that something gets four games into a series of anything, and suddenly that's when it really starts hitting the sweet spot. Still with much work to do, I think. But, um, you know, I think it was after the quarry being quite a, a bit of a shrug of the shoulders for me it was nice to see that i wasn't really just getting disillusioned on super massive games or anything like that it was just that this really distilled what i loved about that company and what they do and and shows that it's always been there it is there it's just picking the right things to go together really reinvigorated that concept of just what the anthology series is doing and it really does. I love that they preview what's coming next because, like, you know, we both said, uh, I mean, we've said previously over the course of the show, like, sci fi and horror is kind of one of our favorite little subgenres. And to see them take that formula and hopefully give us, you know, what I would assume would be either aliens or sort of like Cthulhu cosmic space and seeing how they could apply that formula to that setting and the potentials, that makes me excited for season two, something that. I would never have said before the devil in me <laughs> yeah. um, just because of, you know, my, it was limited, but I had had enough experience of the early hours of so many of those entries that I was kind of just like, this is either going to be the nail in the coffin for me with these, or this is going to be something that could potentially make reinvigorate uh, my investment in it. And I'm very happy to say that it's the later for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, don't know if we'll be doing an episode of the inventory for December because we've got all the other things going and the other thing being there are so few games, but maybe we might fit a little one in there as, you know, there are a couple of big things going on next month in uh, the Callisto Protocol and uh, Marvel's Midnight Suns, which is very horror tinged. We shall see. We'll see how our schedules align and how much time we've got for doing all these things. But um, if not, I'm sure January will provide. I'm sure <laughs> there isn't a big game on the horizon. There, so. <laughs> well, we can definitely say, though, that we are going to do um, a game of the year feature that covers exclusively horror bites. Right. That's going yes. to be next week's episode, which is going to be highlighting 10 each of our favorite uh, horror bites from the year. And, you know, while there is a week in there, we'll, we'll see what pops up. Uh, the end of December is going to feature our game of the year coverage, of course, which granted there have been so many games that sounds like it's going to be broken into two episodes. Yep. So we'll definitely be uh, covering our favorite, you know, big games from the year uh, as well as some of our indie darlings. But yeah, it's, you know, I guess I'm not going to try to 
try to uh, <laughs> condense the entire year uh, of games in terms of like, oh, well, it's been such a great year and all of this. We'll save that for the games of the year coverage. Yeah. But uh, there's definitely a lot more for us to talk yeah. about before the end of the year. I mean, yeah, th- I think what we're trying to say is this is the last traditional episode of the year, yeah. I think, <laughs> more than likely. Because, uh, um, yeah, it is pretty much end of year stuff uh, after this, um, unless we do fit in a mini one. But uh, we shall see. Yeah. But until uh, until next week, it's a pleasure as always chatting horror with you for Safe Room. Absolutely. Until next time. And the arguments shall begin. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. You can also join our Discord channel, Safe Room Podcast, to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love so dearly. You can also drop us an email over at saferoompod at gmail.com. If you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you guys next Monday.